Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Run it back! Run it back! Live Run from the back. Rich Eisen Show studio in Los Angeles. Why not run it back? We could be world champions. Yeah. This is the Rich Eisen Show. F them picks. We'll use them to go win more Super Bowls. With guest host, Susie Schuster. We world champions! Let's go, y'all! Earlier on the show, Pro Football Hall of Famer Marshall Falk, Basketball Hall of Famer Charles Barkley, Basketball Hall of Famer and Lakers legend Jerry West. Still to come, author of Showtime, Jeff Perlman. And now, it's Susie Schuster. Hi, everybody. Susie Schuster in for Rich Eisen, my husband. By the way, I don't know if you know him. He's a guy bald. He runs the 40-yard dash for St. Jude's every year. Anyway, he's been working his tush off. He is on a plane to Hawaii. First guy on the plane, I want you to know. We fight over this every time. I hate getting on the plane right away. I think it's annoying. I let people go on. He wants to be the first guy on the plane. I think he was. He's going to be drinking a lot of Mai Tais over the next couple of days. I am <laughs> thrilled to have had a Hall of Fame Thursday for the first two hours. Marshall Falk with me all three hours. Jerry West called in because I don't do a show without Jerry and Charles Barkley also in the first hour. So it's been a Hall of Fame day. And when I say Hall of Fame, I think of Jeff Perlman. Think of my great friend Jeff Perlman, who wrote the book that just came out as a actually about to come out the HBO show Showtime. Now it's called Winning Time: The Rise of the Lakers Dynasty Trailer. And Jeff, I'm so glad that you came up. You were so cool too about jockeying because when I texted you yesterday and said, "Can you switch the ten and the 11? It's for Jerry West. I mean, what are you going to do? Say no? It's Jerry West, right? <laughs> when you're a sports writer, like Marshall Falk gets asked these things all the time. Come on TV. When you're a sports writer, nobody ever calls you. You just sit in your little hovel in your dark cave. So That's you true. call. Also, Susie calls you. You, you. you show up. I would hope so. You do? Because I know where you Rich live. Rich Eisen calls you. Think about it. Susie calls. <laughs> you're here. Dude, I, I book. TJ, do I book it better guests or what? Come on. Uh, look, I'm not trying to get involved. Your guests are great, but I don't want to like, you know, I got to stay TJ, here when you, you go gotta, back. You got to take a stand. <laughs> You know, Susie, your guests are better. If, if you don't stand for something, what your do you fall for, Mike? You got Perlman on the show. Yes, you do it, Susie. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. I love the fact that this is coming out, that you have Adam McKay to option and take your book all the way. What was that like for you to get the call saying your Lakers Showtime is now going to become an HBO show? I just didn't believe it. Like, I truly didn't believe it. And this uh, book came out in 2014. It sold really well, but you just write a book to write a book. And there's this guy, he was a screenwriter named Jim Hecht. And his credits were Ice Age. Like, that, that was his credits. And he calls me, he's like, I love this book. I love this book. I swear to God, this is a true story. And I don't believe him. I believe he likes the book, but I don't. He's like, I want to make this. We can make this into something. I'm like, okay, whatever. And uh, he's like, well, well, let's meet. I'll come to your house. I'll come to your house. And I lived in New Rochelle, New York at the time. He comes on Easter 2014. Two Jews on Easter. We're having family dinner. He shows up. And he shows up, I swear to God, with three things because there's not that much open on Grand Central Station and, and Easter. He shows up at my house with a block of Baker's chocolate, a tomato, like a big tomato, 
a bottle of wine drink. Not wine, wine drink. Wine drink. Because I guess they were the only things you could find. And he shows up at my house on Easter, and my family's like, who the hell is this guy? And my wife calls me in the kitchen, and she's like, who the hell, who is this guy? I'm like, I don't know, he wants to... And he talks, and he talks about it, and I don't believe anything he says. And over the years, he's like, no, it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And one day he says, uh, Adam McKay wants, wants to meet with us. And I didn't know who Adam McKay was. I'm actually being serious. Adam McKay, for any of you who's listening, he was, uh, he and Will Ferrell were longtime partners. He's one of the most prolific producers, directors, writers in Hollywood. So I should have known who he was. Good job. (laughs) So I literally go to his house and I'm Googling Adam McKay outside his house. Like I had no idea who Adam McKay was. Could you tell by the fact that he had a great house that he he may have done a lot of things? I know, I know. Just saying. So, uh, I go in and he's like, I love the book and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, this is great. You don't hear anything. And one day you get this contract from HBO. And the next thing you know, you start seeing John C. Riley and Sally Field. And it's, it's the craziest thing that's ever happened to me. Jeff Perlman here on the Rich Eisen Show. It's called Winning Time, The Rise of the Lakers Dynasty. That's what it's called on HBO. The book was, of course, called Showtime because of the Showtime Lakers. What made Showtime so special, so sexy, and so captivating. I mean, I think Jerry Buss. It's so common now with with the NBA and and the uh, every team has loud music, and every team has dancing cheerleaders, and every team has you know entertainment out the out the butt. But uh, I can't believe I just said that. But back then, <laughs> um, it wasn't a thing. You know, you'd have a boring halftime show. Uh, it would be very you know, boring and stale. And Jerry Buss comes along and he's like, this has to be showtime. This has to be entertainment. People aren't just coming to watch basketball. They're coming to be entertained. And we're going to start getting celebrities and we're going to give them seats by the court and people are going to show up and they're going to want to see them. And then obviously the, the, the biggest of the big is they, they luck into the number one pick in the 79 draft and they get Magic Johnson. And, um, you know, you just said Jerry West on and Jerry West is one of the geniuses in basketball. And he may not admit this to you, but he wanted Sidney Moncrief. He wanted Sidney Moncrief, number one. And there was this fight with the Lakers, Magic Johnson, Sidney Moncrief. Because the argument was, we already have Norm Nixon, who's a great point guard. Magic Johnson's going to be the 6'9 point guard. How's that going to work against small, you know, the tiny archibalds of the NBA? How's it going to work? And uh, Jerry Buss was steadfast. We need to take this guy. This guy has something special about him. And that was sort of the birth of it. And in going and trying to recapture lightning in the bottle... And you're watching your book turn into a movie. Mm-hmm. What was, what did they get right? Do you think that as we watch, we're going to say, I really believe John C. Riley as Dr. Buss. All right. So the casting of magic is the most interesting one to me, actually. So John C. Riley is a great actor. Obviously Adrian Brody plays Pat Riley. He's fantastic. Sally field. Amazing. Right. There's this guy named Quincy Isaiah who plays magic Johnson. And I love everything about his story. First of all, like magic, he's from Michigan. He was a college football player at a small school in Michigan. Nobody had ever heard of him. And you watch him and he just oozes Magic Johnson. I've never, it's uncanny. It's almost like uh, my wife and I will watch him and you'll be like, wait, is that Magic? Oh no, that's Quincy playing Magic. And they just, they nail it. They just nail it. It's one of the best pieces of casting I've ever seen on any TV show ever. And it just happens to be based on my book, which is insane. Which you have to think is still like absolutely crazy. It's ridiculous. I mean, there was this day, there was this day a couple of years ago, they were filming the pilot and they said, do you and your wife want to make cameos in the pilot? And I'm like, well, why wouldn't I, right? <laughs> we spat, I show up and they have a trailer 
with my name on it. And yes, they misspelled my last name, but it was still my name You've on the trailer. You've got to be kidding me. <laughs> they, they left out the A in Perlman, so it was P-E-R-L-M-A-N. But I still had a trailer, damn it. And uh, I show up, my wife shows up, and they put us in makeup, and I'm playing a reporter. And my wife actually gets a speaking line. She, she plays the, uh, the secretary to Rod Thorne, the Bulls GM, and it's all during the, the draft sequence. And craft services, all the food is free. I'm like taking out a wallet. No, 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 it's free. You can eat it all. And it was, just, it was this magical, magical day. And the craziest thing, there's a book called The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas, which is a great book. And I had this conversation with her where she said, there's something so trippy about you write this thing and then you're, you're in it. Like you're actually, it's a three-dimensional thing come to life. And that's really what it was like for me. It was just one of the weirdest and coolest experiences in my life. I think there's not a single person in life who wants to be shown on camera by an actor less than Jerry West. Yes. I mean, can you imagine? He will be so mortified because he's so, Jerry doesn't like any attention. He, he's so humble. He will be horrified that he's being played by a, a Hollywood actor. All right, so Jason Clark plays him. And uh, it's ridiculous how good he is. I'm not just saying I wouldn't like, I just wouldn't bring it up. It's, well, you're it, not going to say he stunk. No, but book. I wouldn't say anything if he was like, if he was, if I didn't think, I wouldn't say anything. And um, the thing about Jerry West that I love, there are two guys I've covered who do this, Billy Bean and Jerry West, where they can't watch their own team play. And their team is either, whether they're doing well or poorly, they're circling around the arena or Billy Bean used to drive his car when the A's were playing. And Jason Clark captures that, like this sort of thing of Jerry West, like perfectly. And I just think it's amazing the guys like that who really can't take enjoyment in the highs of it all. Like the lows beat them far more than the highs uh, give them pleasure. It's a really weird, it's a weird phenomenon. It's captured really well, I think. And you've wrote, you've written the all-time telling book about the Lakers three-peat that you and I lived through together as I covered the Lakers from 2000 to 2003 during that period. And by the way, if I don't have some kind of role written into this, you and I are going to throw down. I'm just That's saying, fair. like, I was there every night, remember? You know, I was I was going to wear my sunglasses because I've gone very Hollywood. Yeah. I'll talk to my, have your people call my people. Right, and, and, we'll and by that, I'll call them, is yeah. that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, What, as, as you look at that era, as we look at the Shaq and Kobe era, because Shaq's coming on tomorrow, mm -hmm. what stands out to you about a moment in that time where you realized that you were watching, you were you were chronicling, you were a part of something incredibly special and great unfolding before your eyes. Oh man, I mean, to me, it's when Kobe shows up at his first training camp, and it's '97, and they're all standing in a circle. '97, did I get that right? '96, excuse 96. me. '96. '96, and they're all standing in a circle, and this is his first camp, and they're all introducing themselves. It's like, hey, I'm Shaq. You know, you know who I am. Hey, I'm Eddie Jones. I played at Temple. I'm Nick Vanek. And he's named, my name's Kobe. Nobody here is going to punk me. Mm. Like that was his introduction. He's 18, barely 18 years old. Nobody here is going to punk me. And it set this tone. And I wouldn't say it was a very wise approach. You know, like the other players, like who the hell is this guy? But it really set the tone for who that guy was and the attitude he brought to basketball. He brought it because he had that chip on his shoulder about being a kid of affluence, right? And coming in and speaking languages and speaking fluent Italian, being the son of Jelly Bean. I think he was trying to right lay the gauntlet down already that you can't screw with me. And, and, and in fact, 
you wonder if part of that was, and we'll never really know the answer now, but part of it was just trying to protect himself, right? And trying to guard himself because Shaq was such a different kind of guy. I think um, a lot of his career was trying to put forth an image. And I really think it seems like he found himself after he retired. And later in his career when he wasn't quite the player and he sort of became this almost fatherly type figure. Because I feel like a lot of his career, I think you saw this, was putting up a front. Mm -hmm. I'm tough Kobe. You can't mess with me, Kobe. And the guy was an intellectual, very intelligent um, sensitive human being who always felt ha- he had to put up a front. And I always think like that has to be so exhausting to live that life. Like Shaq was the opposite. There was no front. What you saw with Shaq was basically what you got with Shaq. And Kobe had this shell, this plexiglass shield he put up around himself. The older his girls got, the more he became relaxed. Definitely. And he seemed to almost fit into his own skin better as the girls got older. Yeah. I mean, I think that's one of the horrible, I and mean, there are a million of them, horrible tragedies about his passing is, he really was this guy who was blossoming and coming into his own. And you saw him. I mean, the, what I always think of, and I bet you do too, is him sitting with Gigi at that game, mm-hmm. breaking down the play and just this beautiful moment. I just, I mean, it's the saddest thing ever, obviously. Jeff Perlman here on the Rich Eisen Show. Susie Schuster in for Rich Eisen. Jeff, um, Charles Barkley in the first hour said, I think he put it this way, the Lakers stink. What are your thoughts on the Lakers as they are right now? Yeah, they stink. It's mm-hmm. the worst constructed team I have a, I have a kid who lives down the street from me named Drew. Who every he lives and dies with Lakers, and he's like, "No, I think they're really getting it together." He's always like, "They're getting it together," and I'm like, "Drew, this team sucks. This is terrible. This is the worst constructed team ever. The Westbrook thing is a it's just a fiasco that we all saw coming from the beginning." And then the worst thing is you look around the league and you see Brandon Ingram playing well with New Orleans. New Orleans. You saw what Caruso was doing before he got hurt. You saw what Ball was doing, and they had these nice pieces, and now they're just a really old it's impossible for them to come out of the West. Like, actually impossible for them to come out of the West. Disagree? Can't say I disagree, and especially with AD getting hurt with that ankle sprain, because we all know that sometimes a fracture is a better injury than an ankle sprain, because that ankle sprain, once you do it, comes back again and again. Street clothes, right? That's what Barkley's calling him right now, street clothes. I think it's a bad sign when the people I know who are huge Laker fans are super excited about Austin Reeves. Like everyone I know is like this Austin Reeves. Oh, he's like when you're getting excited about the ninth man in your rotation or a guy who should be the ninth man in your rotation, you have some issues. Well, that three pointer was really pretty last night. Brockman, what do you got? Yeah, Jeff, uh, quickly switching to baseball. Uh, you wrote an amazing book about Barry Bonds a while back. What did you make of him not making the Hall of Fame this year and all the discussion that surrounded that this past year with David Ortiz, you know, getting elected? I love that question. Um, because I was 100% against Bonds getting in. I've been outspoken about Bonds. He shouldn't get in. He cheated, he cheated, he cheated. And I feel like this year, the writers basically blew up my own argument. Like, once you let Ortiz in, who we know cheated as well. Like, we know David Ortiz cheated. We know he used PDs, PD. The moment you say, well, we're going to let him in because he's always been nice to us, and he has a nice smile, and he's good with the kids, that ends any argument against Bonds. Like, that's it. Because that's not what it's about. So to me, at this point, I really, I've never said this before, but Bonds belongs in, McGuire belongs in, Sosa belongs in, Clement belongs in. All wow. these guys, like you just decided, you, you guys made this decision. We're going to let in this guy because we love him and because he was nice to us. Well, fine. But then you got to let them all in. Are you a voter? I'm not a voter. I'm just a loud person. 
<laughs> Do you think he eventually gets in on some sort of veterans committee or they have the, the – a new recent one about, uh, I forget the name of it, but do you think they eventually get in? I do, because I, I think, I would say nine out of ten players I've spoken with over the years support him getting in. They know, None of them like him. Right. He's one of the least likable human beings you'll ever find in your life, at least he was as a player. But there's no denying that he's maybe the greatest we've ever seen. Of course. And if we're, again, if we're, gonna, if we're just not going to care about cheating, if that's just not a factor, he has to be in. This kind of goes back to what Jerry said, too. Jerry West, of course, our guest in the last hour. Is or is that it's how you treat people. Now, I happen to enjoy interviewing Barry Bonds. I was very lucky to have a good relationship with him. So I covered him um, for the last couple of years of his career and throughout the World Series. But the, most people didn't have that relationship with him. And I feel like, speaking on his behalf, I feel like he had a lot in his past that he hadn't unpacked and that he took that out in the field with him. And that's my own personal perspective, but that's mine. The fact of the matter is, is where do you draw the line? I mean, you either play the game with integrity and you, or you don't. I mean, if Ortiz gets in, right, and he has, but he's been a great guy. But Clemens doesn't get in or Barry doesn't get in. It's not a popularity contest. No. It's a numbers game. I agree. It's the same with Schilling. Like, Schilling hasn't gotten in. I agree with nothing Kurt Schilling says ever. There's there's no human being on this planet I disagree with more than Kurt Schilling, but he belongs in the Hall of Fame. Like that's irrelevant. What I think about his political opinions is completely irrelevant. He belongs in the Hall of Fame. And again, if we're going to let cheaters in, we're just acknowledging this guy cheated, but he's a nice guy. Then we have to let in the ones who weren't nice guys too. Have to. What are you working on now? What's the next book? I have a Bo Jackson biography coming out in uh, October. Hmm. We know a lot about that life between baseball and football through Dion. How's Bo's house and closet? <laughs> that I don't know. Yeah, you gotta find out. You gotta you find out it? where the money goes. Yeah, huh? he's a hunter. He's a hunter? He's a hunter? Bow and arrow. All right, when we come back. Bow and arrow. Right? Oh, God. Yeah. I don't want to talk Wait, he about used to, dead When he animals. was with the Royals, he used to take his bow and shoot it in the clubhouse. What? And the <laughs> players would complain to the GM and be like, you know, Bo, and no one had the guts to say anything to Bo. Like, no one's going to be like, listen, Bo, you really need to think about this. Yeah, it's amazing. Jeff, wasn't there a, a story about Bo as a kid that he would kill pigs by throwing rocks at them? Oh, uh, you're this stealing my best material. Oh. That is true. <laughs> well, there was a, um, I mean, it's, you can, his nickname, so Bo derives from Bohog, which is Borhog. He lived in the deep south in Bessemer, Alabama. And, uh, I've been to this farm. There was a, up the street from where he lives, there was this guy who raised pigs, boars. And Bo and his friends one day show up and they, they're, they're with rocks and sticks and they're just beating the crap out of this enormous boar hog. And um, they get caught and they threaten to send Bo to uh, a way to, you know, private military school. And, uh, it's sort of the moment where he first realizes maybe I shouldn't be such a horrible kid. He was a horrible, horrible kid as far as behavior, which he's acknowledged, but really interesting guy. Oh God, I love you, but and now I, now I hate Bo Jackson. No, no, okay? no, he's great. He's a great guy. He's great. He's great. Sure. Yeah. You know how I feel about animals. He's that, no that's, Marshall that's Falk. A, that, no, he's no Marshall Falk. No. That, that's a tough sell. Yeah. Don't beat up a boar hog. Come he was on. a kid. He was a kid. Oh, good Lord. All right, Jeff, Pro what's your Twitter handle? Because you are a funny. At Jeff Perlman. Yeah, that's great. With an A. With an A. Yeah. <laughs> when does uh, Winning Time, The Rise of the Lakers Dynasty come out? March 6th on March HBO. March 6th. All right. Watch it on HBO, please. And then stay tuned, of course, for my huge part 
in the Lakers three-peat you got it. television program, I got you in right? There. Yeah. Yeah, just keep me posted. Let me know when my call time is and spell my name right, will you please? I'll do my best. I'll get you a trailer. A lot more with Marshall <laughs> Falk when we come back. Hour three of the Rich Eisen Show. Don't go anywhere. We are just warming up. Let's talk sleep number, people, because quality sleep is so essential. That's why the sleep number smart bed is dissolved for your ever-evolving sleep needs. And the same thing for your partner, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side, helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature, quiets your snores or your partner's? Sleep Number does that. My Sleep Number setting is 60. My wife's is 70. Ten numbers apart, but it truly is the world of difference. The Sleep Number sleep that you get is unbelievable. You will love it. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now you could save 50%. That's 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Let's talk game time. Boy, do we love using game time tickets at the Rich Eisen Show. And every single time I've been watching the basketball playoffs on TV, I've been wondering what it would be like to be at these games. And when you choose your tickets on game time, you can see the view from your seat where the court is, where you are in relation to it. And then the all-in prices, that's my favorite feature. The all-in prices makes sure that you see the lowest price guarantee and also know exactly how much everything costs all in before you purchase. So all the guests were is removed when you buy playoff tickets with game time download the game time app create an account and use my code rich for twenty dollars off your first purchase terms apply visit gametime.co for restrictions again create an account redeem my code r-i-c-h for twenty dollars off your first purchase download game time today last minute tickets lowest price guaranteed Back here on the Rich Eisen Show, Susie Schuster in for Rich Eisen. My husband is taking a couple days off, so while the cat's away, the mice will play, people. I'm just saying, must be nice. I I clearly didn't go with him, TJ Jefferson. I'm looking at you. Yeah, I'm I'm right here. (laughs) you. I'm right here. I'm here. I'm holding down the fort while he. Well, he lotions up, plays a little pickleball, which is tennis for old people. Mr. Mai Tai. Mr. Mai Tai back in action, but I get my other husband, Marshall Falk, with me so for all three I have, hours. A, I have a question for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, what do you got? So the video that we just saw of Rich, mm. you know, whenever I see somebody like that, I'm like, that's somebody's father. Right. <laughs> what, so, does, <laughs> what does your kids say when they see their father? So what Marshall's talking about, people, what Marshall's talking about was a... Um, while you guys were in break, we were watching a video of him dressing up like a rock star. Chris, who was the rocker that was in that day? Oh, my God. Oh, um, that's Jerry Cantrell. Jerry from Cantrell Allison from Allison Chains. Oh, man. And they challenged Rich to dress up as a rocker. And what I said to Marshall was, um, quietly, I said, he should never wear tights. <laughs> and he had D. Snyder hair and glasses. It was not a good look. You know, it's like, don't quit your day job. Like, yeah, Rich is not a rock star. I'm just saying it, it was a it was a rough look. We got through it. We sought therapy. And then I tried. Um, that's, what, what? that's serious. Brock, I, every time, like when we go to games and stuff, and you see people in the stands and they dress up like that, I always say, that's somebody's father. The face painting. Yeah, that's somebody's grandfather. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the stands at the Super Bowl, <laughs> two huh? seats behind us was the guy that you've seen at games 
who dresses up as like Uncle Fester or I think from the Adams, Adams family, family. Yeah. with any of the light gray everywhere, black eyes, the gray suit. He had the light bulb in his mouth and he had the hand on his head. And then every time he'd get the cameras on him, you know, the light bulb would light up. He'd stand and take <laughs> pictures. The light Very bulb good. would go on. Cooper was so disturbed. Mom, wh- why did he come here like that? He's really creepy. Xander was creeped out. And I had to explain to them that this man is so desperate for attention that he spent three to $4,000 on a seat. He was by himself, no one around him, taking photographs and just hoping that NBC would pan to him yeah. for that moment. Maybe explain to them that, that fan is short for, for fanatic. Yeah. And there you have it. Yeah, but like, really? Like, that's just yeah. just to stand there hoping that NBC's going to pan to you? Yeah, that's, that's why we say that's somebody's father. Yeah. <laughs> well, Marshall, you were saying uh, Will Ferrell was sitting near you, and he was head to toe dressed up as a Bengal with his face Yeah, he looked like a Bengal. Did he yeah. really? Yeah. Yeah. But he, no. <laughs> but when he does it, it's hysterical. Like he dressed up as Jesus coming in here one day. I thought nah, that was a, nah, a, a that's that's somebody's father. That's somebody's dad. If he's if he's if he's out of if he's if he's not playing a role, <laughs> unless his whole life is just a role. Marshall Marshall Falk as a man who men get giddy when you're around. Like the, you're like um. I, if I want someone to come in, I'm like, you know, Marshall's going to be there. Oh, really? Like these two buffoons over here wanted to go get Jerry West jerseys in case Jerry came in so they could say, like, here, Jerry, here's your jersey. The logo, it, man. No doubt. And I say buffoons with love and affection. Oh, obviously. I want to just uh, make great that. use of the word buffoon. Thank I you. I want to clarify. That's a little whack to me. But, that, yeah. you just, was Mike involved in the buffoon? Or was no, it I think that was just us, bro. When I call you a buffoon, you. I do it with love and, and affection and no derision whatsoever. But when grown men are wearing your jersey and they come up to you and they're wearing your jersey, what, what's your gut thought? Uh, I'm, I'm let, let's say in game. Like if, if we're at a game, we're at a sporting event, you know, I'm like, I'm, I, I, pre, I actually tell him, you know, I, I, I tell him respect. Like I respect the fact that they're a fan. I appreciate you. I appreciate you being a fan. Like, that's what I say. But just like at the supermarket, I'm, uh, <laughs> that's a choice. That's a fashion. It's choice. a little different. It's a yeah. little different on the Wednesday at the supermarket. It's a little different. And when they ask you to sign it at the supermarket, do you back away cautiously? No, nah, that's that's why you know that's that's when I'm appreciative of of the mask mandate. Yeah, like I'm, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's, there's nothing there's, it's, there's nothing like somebody like wearing a jersey with a sharpie ready at the supermarket, waiting for you to go in there. You have to be. <laughs> you have to be now. Now, if I'm in line and he actually goes and purchases the sharpie and then he comes up, okay, I respect that. But you can't be ready. You can't be, like, locked and loaded. Marshall, by the way, can you sign this album for me? <laughs> I got you. Any, Thank you. Anything for you, though, too, folks. You're my guy. You know that. Well, he I, is told, I told Marshall guy, this a man. long time ago. When I was a oh. freshman in college, I had the, the Nike poster on my wall. Of Marshall? Yeah. So what's it like for you to sit across from him it's, all the it's time pretty now? Amazing. It's pretty amazing. And well, the we fact, work yeah. together, too. Yeah, when we yeah. work together in the film network. No, but still, you still have to. Listen, I've been friends I with Jerry West for 20 years, and I still look at Jerry West. I think, I think in the West. beginning, when we first started working together, he was like. Right. And, 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 you know, then we just started talking ball. Yeah. You know, we started talking ball, and I realized he, you know, he had a high IQ for football, and, like, I was but like... does he this really? Is, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Brockman, come on. Yeah, no, nah, he, he knows he his... Really? Nah, he really does. He knows he's his stuff. Well, he doesn't show we that on like, the show here, Marshall. We I'm going to tell you We were like able that. to, like, really have, like, high 
educated football conversations about, hey, here's what I'm going to talk about. Um, You know, at that point in time, we were we were like we were doing a lot of stuff on set. So being able to you have to have your stuff ready, Mm -hmm. like being on the show, you have to have your stuff ready because, I mean, obviously the set with the guys, you, you needed to know what you were talking about. Brock and I, we worked well together. And when you said earlier, Marshall, that football was just your thing, like you can see the game and understand the game and it's second nature. I always thought that I knew a lot about football. And then the year that I worked with Marshall and we would watch the games uh, on the the set when they would start, I I didn't know anything compared to this guy. And so being able to absorb all that and learn all that and be able to get in his mind and kind of anticipate and see what he saw and learn that, even just a sliver was just – Took my what I what I thought I knew about football and took it to another level. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, the beauty of the game is like I, even when I look at it, everybody watches what happened, but they really don't know why it happened. They don't know what happened before that to make that happen. It's but, like all the all the all the all the things that happens for 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 things that happen. It's it's so it's it's awesome how how they're designed and what what's done to set things up. Well, that's why I was saying earlier in the show I was talking about what it was like at the NFC Championship game to stand there with you and watch the game unfold. And I really feel like I wish I could share that with everybody. That might be the next show. That's the new Manning telecast is to sit there with you watching the games unfold because you look at it with such a fresh set of eyes, see things that you would have never seen before because we don't play the game. Yeah, well, we're taught, well, most people are taught when you're taught to watch the game of football, you're taught to watch the shiny object. And that's whoever has the ball and wherever the ball goes. But once you once you really start to break down football and you don't watch the ball, then you understand everything that's going on. You know, it, it literally like there's it, it, it's fascinating at at how the chess match between the offensive coordinator and the defensive coordinator. There's so much that goes into that. It's it's unbelievable how the game is played and how how each each quarter it was like what adjustment do i make when do i make the adjustment and 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 stuff like that and it's like who's going to show their hand first and and in in the in the super bowl mcveigh did a great job at being patient and not showing his hand too soon and what really happened was the defense stood up a couple of times when he was when they were trying to move the ball move the ball and he didn't want to like do anything different and he was like i got him that last drive, he knew. Like he knew on that last drive, every play was efficient. Like it was like it was like clockwork. Stafford knew where to go with the football. Is that why you think he stuck with the run as long as he did? Because it clearly wasn't working. Well, he he, he had he, they had to run the ball not just for 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 gaining yards, but for discipline. Mm-hmm. He had to keep their defense disciplined. To hey, we will not abandon the run. And and what happened to Cincinnati in in the, in the last couple of drives was they did not run the ball, so therefore their play action was done, and the Rams need play action. They mm-hmm. are a play action heavy team, um, and you have you have to at least run the ball even if you just get back to the line of scrimmage. It's a must that you maintain the ability to run the ball, and the defense knows, hey, they could run it, they and, could run it, and Mixon was was doing a pretty good job on the ground. He was. And then all of a sudden, those last two drives, he wasn't even in the game, which was pretty confusing to me. Yeah. yeah. The, 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 sec- the, Rams, the, the Rams physically dominated the second half of that game. Uh, they, they imposed a will 
at the line of scrimmage on them other than the big play. And I mean, it, I'm not going to say it was a blatant pass interference because I don't know if Ramsey took a dive or if he yeah. really got pushed that hard. But the no call there, you know, it really set things up for Cincinnati. And after that, I mean, there wasn't they, they didn't do a lot. They, they got the lead and kind of sat on it. It seemed like. Do you believe that the right MVP was crowned? I'm gonna say yes because you can't give the you can't give the MVP. Let's let's say staff. Most quarterbacks win it, but he threw two interceptions. Now, the one interception was like a touchback punt. I understood that one late in it, late in the game. I got that one, but you just can't give it to a guy who throws two interceptions. What about Donald though? Because without his defensive prowess, without him basically being possessed, they wouldn't be in the game. Yeah, I I, I just don't think he did enough. You know, it, it it was like he had he had impact plays, but it wasn't like he had the kind of game where you give it to a defensive guy. I just don't know how, honestly, and I'm curious to hear all of your thoughts, how you give it to anybody aside from Cooper Cup. First of all, the the kid almost I don't know how he walked off the field after that end zone collision. End zone. Yeah. I mean, he was that was horrifying. He was literally out. So let, let's think. They lost Woods. Higby goes down. Mm-hmm. Beckham goes down. And it's him, <laughs> Jefferson, and what's 18 name? I, I, I don't know. Yes. I still don't know his name. Starts with an S. Sour, <laughs> Sour Whatever, that guy. 18. Sorolla. Yeah. Like. yeah. 18. Yeah. He was the one. 1 8. Game would have been put away against San Francisco, but he Edward Scissor's hand, Scissor hand the ball. Yeah. Like him, and then Hoskins. So you know, you know they're not going to him. They might, they might throw a check down to Blanton, maybe. And Jefferson's more, more of a deep guy. So it was. They knew the ball was going to Cooper Cup, and they couldn't do anything about it. And Cooper Cup, he he makes plays that shouldn't exist, that shouldn't happen. Now, of course, I'm biased because I'm such a New England like apologist, right? But it did remind me of some of those plays that Julian Edelman would Very make similar. that, you were, that they, you were just like, how did he make that? How did that play happen? Yes. That Julian Edelman right. would, would have a catch. And again, not a huge guy, but he would take such a pounding yeah. that you thought, how did he get off the turf? Yeah. If if I had to describe that, I mean, they are the same type of player. And 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 if you think about it, um, Big time too in 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 game big time they make those plays. It's like how the hell does he do that? Mm-hmm. He, that that you're exactly right. And but Cooper Cup to, to differentiate, he has that deep threat ability. Yes. as we saw against the Bucks. Yeah, he can he can play outside. I read the greatest story. I think it was an SI, and I'll have to look it up in the break. But about him and his wife basically growing up together. They were high school sweethearts. Mm-hmm. She was a track star, went off to Arkansas, came back, and she basically supported him his whole way through, what was it, Eastern Washington? Yeah. But it's amazing. Some of these guys that you've never heard of, and this we give credit to Les Snead, he wrote about, I think Greg Bishop, who's coming on tomorrow, who wrote the cover story. He's written the last eight cover stories for SI, talks about when Les saw him, he wrote in his notebook, who is this guy? Who is Cooper Cup? And that's the best part of these storybook endings is, these guys who come out of nowhere, they're not at Alabama. They're not playing for Saban. They're not at Mississippi. They're not at San Diego State. They're not at Michigan. 
they come out of nowhere and they become the most valuable player of the Super Bowl. Yeah, and um, having an eye to see talent, regardless of whom they are playing against, you know, it's it's an art. It it it, it is literally an art because when you're watching a guy at Alabama. Normally, the other 10 guys that he's on the field with, they're four or five-star talent. <laughs> so he's going to look good. But to watch a Cooper Cup, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a different story. Like, if you, if you look at him and you look at his numbers and you say, hold on, wait, this kid's getting open, he catches some balls, but his quarterbacks suck. <laughs> you might don't see him being the player that he is. So it's, um, I, I think the real talent, and, and, and we're going to see it now, you know, it's like, I want, I want to see Combine rolls around. They're going to move it around now. How many how many teams are going to watch the Combine virtually because that's an option now? Or do you really need to go there and kick the tires on the player to see if they if they, if they can play? I think the guys who are good at drafting and finding the Cooper Cups, um, because I, I, I did not know at Pitt Aaron Donald was Aaron Donald. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I talked to Ray Agnew. Ray Agnew said, hey, man, there's this dude, number 99. Check him out. Check him out. Tell me what you think, Falk. I was like, all right, cool. I was like, man, where does he get this motor from? Why did why hadn't we? Nobody heard of Aaron Donald in college. You didn't hear about him. But lo and behold, look what you have. And I think you know those are the type of guys when you look at um, when Les does his homework and they bring him in, and you're like, wow. You know, I, I knew Van Jefferson was pretty decent, but. I didn't. I didn't see what I saw in him. Now, and he's he's always finding those guys like that, and um, he has an eye for it. I give him. I give him props. He he has an eye for it. We're gonna take a break right now, and when we come back, let's talk about your crystal ball. Where you see guys going? What's gonna happen with this team? Who's gonna come back? Who's gonna take a break? And also, let's go around the NFL and look at some of the the other quarterbacks yeah. and see where you think that they're going to go. Because I think that's we're past it, right? Some we're options, past man. the Super Bowl. We got some options. We're, we're, what, what does Rich call it, guys? It's not the off season. It's, it's the, the non playing non playing <laughs> yeah, season, non-playing. right? I like that. Yep. Which you know, because we know at my house, football never ends, <laughs> ever, <laughs> ever. But uh, let's do that. When we come, let's take a break now. And when we come back, let's do that. Let's have uh, Marshall Falk project look deep into his crystal ball and tell us the future. Let's talk O'Reilly Auto Parts, people, or as you might know from their jingle, O O O O'Reilly Auto Parts. They're in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offers friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs because you know when you need your car fixed, you need somebody who knows what they're talking about and is helpful, has a smile on their face, and gets you back on the road. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. The team at O'Reilly Auto Parts can test your battery for free in or out of your car. If it needs to be replaced, they'll help you just... Find the right battery for your vehicle. Need your windshield wipers replaced, a brake light fix, or a quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. Whether you're a car aficionado or an auto novice, you will find the employees at O'Reilly Auto Parts knowledgeable, helpful, and the best of all, friendly. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com eisen. That's O'ReillyAuto.com eisen. 
What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. Marshall Falk with us here on The Rich Eisen Show. As we close up our third hour, we're talking about Sean McVay and what makes him such a special coach. You talk about the guys want to play for him. Mm-hmm. Would you have loved to have played for a guy like that? You have oh, some yeah. pretty sweet coaches yourself. Yeah, well, it, listen, give me an offensive coach and I'm good, period. <laughs> but you, you give me somebody that's that's like him, and, and he's in the mode of, of Mike Martz, which is... Uh, they 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 keep the game entertaining for their offense. They they're stimulating you because they they're they're putting new wrinkles in, adding new stuff, and uh, and they're they're pushing you to perfection. They want you to be perfect, and um, and that's that's what you want. Like those those types of coaches, they get the better, they get the best out of players. Who's your favorite? Um, I, I'd I'd have to go Mike Martz. Okay, you know Mike Mike and I, um, man, like. What he allowed me to do uh, as far as being creative in the game and uh, him stretching me as a player by uh, by asking me to do so much and putting me in positions to to succeed. And uh, for me, it was it was like I'm saying I was like, coach, I'm not going to let you down. I'm not going to let you down. We're going to take a quick phone call. I do want to get Chris um, tee up those quarterbacks because I do yeah, want to pick Marshall's brain on sure. that. But let's first take Jeff in Detroit. Hi, Jeff. John. Is it John? I thought it was Jeff John. in Detroit. No, it's John. Yeah, this, this is John. I can't get fired, John. It's a J. Hey, John, it's how are you? What's up, buddy? <laughs> hey, John. I'm good. How's it going? Uh, better now because you're on the phone. How are you? Oh, that's sweet. Well, I'm good. Uh, real quick before I ask my question, uh, Marshall, it was um, whenever you're talking about Katrina, uh, your memories of Katrina really kind of hit home for me. I actually grew up in Baton Rouge, and uh, I was a sophomore football player at the Naval Academy. And I remember after practice that day, the reporters, for the first time ever, were talking to me and asking me, like, hey, how's your family doing? I had no clue. You know, I just remember that feeling of helplessness, so I can, I can completely empathize. Um, but this is for both Marshall and, and for Susie. You know, with, as it relates to the Brian Flores lawsuit, as well as everything happening with Dan Snyder and uh, the Washington Commanders, you know, I go back to this quote from the movie 42 where Branch Rickey is talking to Jackie Robinson. He says, there's something unfair at the heart of the game I love, and I ignored it. Then the time came that I can no longer do that. So my question is, what do we do? As, as a fan, as someone who loves this game, what can I do, what can we do to advocate for change? Thanks for that call. What do you think, Marshall? You know, um, I was asked this question, and I think that uh, what whatever comes of the Brian Flores uh, lawsuit, uh, win or loss, um, something's there, and the the numbers the, the numbers prove that something's there. Eric Bieniemy proves that something's there. Byron Leftwich proves that something's there. Now we can ignore it, and we can say, "Oh no, it's not really there." But something's there. And in order to in order for things like this to get exposed, 
it can't be just black coaches standing up. Some of the some of the head coaches and some of the other coaches in this league that are of other color need to be with them. That's when change happens. Like Jackie Robinson couldn't do it without Branch Rickey. All the movements that happen, they happen with people from all races saying, we are tired of this. It can't just be black coaches. And and so I'm waiting to hear because we haven't heard from other coaches as to, hey, yeah, that's not right. I'm waiting to hear. I'm waiting. What about the players? Players can't players don't have anything to do with this. We 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 can't move the needle. We we can't move this needle. And we they want to hear from players. Yeah, you want to hear from players, but nah, I want to hear from the other head coaches in this league who understand and, and, and maybe maybe they don't maybe they don't want to believe that they have a leg up, but it's different. It's 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 a it's a it's a little different for a black head coach to get rehired after they're fired. Like Doug Peterson, that ain't happening. It rarely happens. Rarely that you get a second job, hmm. let alone a second interview if you get fired. I think once there's one voice, there are always others. That's say that again. Once there's one voice, there are always others that follow. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, I just don't like it. It was, um, I, I, I don't know. I was this, this. It was just weird. Um, I uh, yesterday I was like, you know, I was like, oh, to represent the NFL, they hired Loretta Lynch. I'm like, wow, okay. Now I'm not saying she's not qualified, but great person to make an argument in this case for the league. Great person. <laughs> I'm just saying, I was like, hey, let's, you want to play checkers, we'll play chess. That was like, <laughs> that's a great move. I was like, wow. All right. They checked two boxes there. <laughs> I may have to make you stay for tomorrow's show. Because we're, we're wrapping up this show and you're about to open up a whole but new just, conversation. Just, and you're it's right. Just, it's just good. I mean, you know, this is, this, listen, man, it, this, this goes beyond sport. You know, this is like big business. Um, it's there's there's so much here. There's so much here. This thing is so much bigger than just sports. And and unfortunately, it's it's fallen on the NFL's lap. But it's so much bigger than just sports. And but but the NFL they have to do something about it. And I heard somebody say, based on the numbers, with the Rooney rule since the Rooney rule. We can't allow the NFL to police themselves any longer. The guy who eats cookies can't be in charge of the cookie jar. <laughs> he can't be in, his hand is going in the cookie jar. He's going to eat them all. You just, just can't do it. Who's the best man right now that should be a head coach and isn't? The best man. Well, I'm, let's, let's just talk about Brian Flores for what he did in Miami. I want you to know that he turned the team around and they had two winning seasons. Like that's like, I, I just don't understand how you get fired then. And if you hire me as the head coach, I want, here's what I want to know. So what's my criteria for being successful? Cause you got to tell me now, cause I just saw a guy who took this team to where you took it. I mean, it's kind of like, um, but a little bit different when the Patriots let Pete Carroll go 
and hired Bill Belichick. Think about that. Like, people think Pete Carroll wasn't a bad head coach. I think they were 9-7 and seven the year they let him go. But they had an opportunity to get Belichick when he told, told the Jets, nah, I ain't taking this job. Mm-hmm. But there's something there, man. There's something there. Now, I don't know if the court's going to rule in favor or what's going to happen or how they are going to get out of it. But oh, until the coaches in the league stand up with, with the black coaches, change won't happen. It's not going to happen. I'm not sure what that union looks like, and I'm not sure what they're saying, but... It takes it takes all of them to decide, hey, we don't want it to be like that. Like I said, once there's one voice, others are going to follow. Yeah, well, we shall see. I mean, and it, it, you, let, let's let's understand what we're advocating for. We're advocating for um, other white coaches who may have a leg up on getting a job saying, um, no, nah, look at this guy too. be fair. That's what we're saying, which takes a job from them, maybe, possibly. Marshall, I love having you come in. Thank you for having uh, the time for me, as you always do. All good. I don't take my it pleasure. for granted. My, my pleasure. My thanks to Jerry West, because he never lets me down. My thanks to my good friend, Charles Barkley. The logo. Love like I said, dude. it was Hall of Fame Thursday. Tomorrow, Kara Sneed comes in. Greg Bishop, we've got a whole lineup ahead. I look forward to seeing you tomorrow. Have a great day.